the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it's closer now than it's ever been I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call at the midnight cry will be going home when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children the dead in Christ shall rise to meet him in the air and then those that remain At the midnight cry, when Jesus comes again, I look around me I see prophecies fulfilled and signs of the times they're appearing everywhere I can almost hear the Father saying son go get my children at the midnight cry the bride of Christ shall rise when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his Christ shall rise to meet him in the air, and then those that remain shall be quickly changed at the midnight cry when Jesus comes again and then those that remain shall be quickly changed at the midnight cry when Jesus comes again
the midnight cry when Jesus comes again comes again Amen. Thank you, Joel. And and that's your mother? Awesome. Awesome. You Incredible pianist. Did a great job. Great job. As, as Joel was singing that, here's what the Lord spoke to me. And he's given me a lot of words today. I put them on little notes as I'm getting ready for this morning. But here's what the Lord spoke to me as you were singing, Joel. We are... There's a day coming. And I don't know about y'all, I, I have a shofar in my office. I really wanted to go blow it while he was singing that. But all of y'all would have got real, like, nervous for a second. Y'all have been like, uh-oh. I don't know about nervous. Y'all probably got excited, I hope. But there's a day coming. And our God is coming back again. But... There's still work to be done. Which is why we're here. Which is why we're in Mobile. Which is why God has placed you in this city. And the work that has to be done is for His kingdom. And for His glory. And for Christ alone. And so as he was singing, I was like, Lord, I'm so ready. Come on, like split the skies. Let's go right now. I'll call Brother Fred and let him know, hey... Um, <laughs> Do you see what we're seeing? We're going home. I'm ready. Like, I'm excited. But I'm also excited because I've given my life to Jesus. And He's changed my passion, my desire, and everything about my life to bring His name glory. And so from now until either I breathe my last, which could be a little while, or when the skies split open... And we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Until that day, either one, I will serve Him and Him alone. This morning as we get started, I always start with 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5. That's my life verse. I promised the Lord that I would speak that before I preach on Sunday mornings. And I just want you to know, Brother Fred is uh, on vacation with his whole family. He said there was uh, 20 or so people or more uh, at their vacation place, he told him, told us to pray for him. Um, so uh, we'll be praying for Brother Fred. Actually, let's do that right now before we even get started. Let's pray for our pastor that he will have rest. Lord, we just thank you so much for us being able to come here this morning. God, that you've given us breath this morning. God, that you've allowed our heart to beat this morning. And Lord, as we come here this morning, our pastor is uh, resting with his family and spending some time with his family, we pray right now that you will give him supernatural rest, God. That you will just allow him to come back rejuvenated, refueled, and full of the joy of Christ as he comes back, Lord. We pray for his family and and everybody that's there. And and Brother Ed, as he has also taken some time with his family and his wife, Lord, we just pray that you will just give them rest, O God. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I just have to tell you, I'm like, I'm really excited about this morning, 
Um, I know that a lot of y'all say, well, David, you're usually pretty excited. Um, And, you know, I am a little bit crazy sometimes. But, like, I've been studying for the past week about joy. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if you've ever studied joy for a whole week, you get like, I mean, there's been times in my office that like, I'm just like going crazy and it's not on coffee or any type of energy drink. It's just simply the, the, just the overwhelming presence of God. And so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4 and 5. My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but yet on the power of God. And so that's my prayer for us today. As we get started and begin our message that the Lord has placed on my heart, I have to just share with you that I've been praying and I said, Lord, um, the last couple of times I've preached, it's been pretty, pretty just, I mean, I'm still chewing on a lot of what the Lord's spoken to me over the last couple of times that I presented to you. Still trying to just digest it. And I said, Lord, um, will you let me teach on joy or something? And so as I was praying, I woke up in the middle of the night last week and the Lord spoke to me something from our Declaration of Independence. In our Declaration of Independence, it says that we have unalienable rights. And by the way, I had to go and figure out what that meant because I didn't understand it, which basically means rights that can't be taken away. To have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so as this was spoken to me and I said, okay, Lord, like, help me out and help me understand this, um, I began to kind of digest and just read and and, and try to figure out where these words came from. Some of our founding fathers were believers and and professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of them simply liked the moral standards of the Bible. And so they said that this is something that we want to, to, to place into effect. And so when you look at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you see a lot of this in Scripture. And so today, what the Lord put on my heart as I woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord was speaking to me, He said, this is the problem in America today. Is that the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness is built on the wrong foundation. And God said that the truth is that life, liberty, and I call it joy, is built, needs to be, has to be built on the rock that will not change. Now Jesus says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God says that that it ain't going away. It's going to stand forever. And so this morning as we get started, I want to simply take life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or in, in, in Christian words, or excuse me, in God's words, let's call it joy. And we're going to look at how the world views life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and how a believer views life, liberty, and true joy. But as we get started, you've got to ask yourself, is what viewpoint are you coming from? Who do you belong to? Do you belong to Christ? Is He your Lord and Savior? Is He your everything? Or do you belong to the world? And by the end of this message, you'll be able to answer simply by looking at how you view life, liberty, and joy. In James chapter 1, verse 1, one of my favorite scriptures in all the scripture, and it's simply the introduction to the book of James. It says, James, a bond servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The reason I love this scripture is because James had other things that he could, have, he could have said. You know, when you're writing a letter, you want to let people know your credibility pretty quickly. If I'm writing a letter to people that, that, that are going to get it, whether whoever, where it's at, and, and they don't really necessarily know me that well, I'm going to make sure, hey, I'm David Bullock and here's you know, who I am. I want you to know a little bit about me because you want them to understand why the importance of them reading this letter. And James says, hey, I'm a bondservant of Christ. But there's two, there's several things he could have put there, but there's two things that I want you to see. He could have said, hey, I'm James. I am an apostle. He could have said that. He could have said, hey, I'm James. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm writing a letter and I want people to listen to me, and I was the half-brother of Jesus... I would have been like, hey, I'm David. Yeah, I lived with him. (laughs) And we're real close. And as Mark Lowry said back in the day, James could have said, I never had to clean the pool because Jesus could walk on water and just take care of it. (laughs) But James could have said any of these things. But see, he understood that greater than all those things that he could have wrote, the greatest thing that he can say about his life is that he is a bond servant of Christ. Let me explain to you what a bond servant means real quick. I've shared this with you before, but let me share it with you again real quickly. And that's this. A bond servant is somebody who could have had their freedom. But yet they said, I want to go and be a servant in the master's household. They gave up their freedom. They gave up what they had. And they said, I want to go and be a servant for you for the rest of my life. It was for life. He gave it all up. He had finished his debts. He had finished what he was supposed to do. And at that point, he said, hey, I want to be your servant for the rest of my life. And here's what's so important about that. That means that, that James and that anybody that became a bond servant in those days, that means that they understood that the life that they could provide for themselves was nothing in comparison of being a servant to the master. That's how good the master was. If somebody would say, hey, the life as a servant to my master is so much better better than anything that I could ever do on my own. Anything that I could create, anything that I could produce, none of it even comes close to just simply being a servant to my master forever. So let me ask you a question. Are you a bondservant of Christ? Like, are you truly at the point where you say, I, Lord, I've given you every bit of my life. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all in your life. Have you gotten to the point where you say, I belong to Jesus as a bondservant. I've given everything of me to the King. And I am a servant of the Most High God. And as we just said, there's still work to be done before the midnight call. Why? Because we are doing the work of our Master, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. James chapter 1, 1, he says, I'm a bondservant. So are you a bondservant of the Most High God? Whenever I write letters now, instead of saying uh, sincerely David, instead of saying in Him, which is what I used to say, in Christ, in Him, now I put bondservant David Bullock. Because for me, the word Christian has been so diluted. And so I want people to know, I'm a bondservant, I've given everything to the Lord. It's all His. 
So when we think about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or joy, my question to you is this, who do you belong to? Do you truly belong to Jesus? Have you given Him everything? Are you a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17? Are you truly a new creation? Has the old gone, the new come? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, put on the new self because the old self is gone. It says in 4.24, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. Are you truly a new creation? Are you truly a bondservant of the Most High God? We could stop right there today and just simply dwell on the fact that we given our entire life to God. Are we truly surrendered to the King? But the Lord took me on this journey of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want you to know that it's very interesting to me that when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, it was to remove, rebel against, come against, to, to get out of the tyranny of a country. It was to get away And when you think about being a bondservant of the king, we have been removed from the evil one's hands. We are no longer enslaved to the evil one. We're no longer enslaved to Satan. He has no authority. And I got really excited studying this. So let's start off with life. When you think about on the world standpoint, somebody who's not belongs to Jesus, for life for them, it's fading away. Life for them, they continue to try to preserve it. And they're always seeking purpose in life. They're always seeking purpose. And as I began to think about it, I really struggled today. Because just in the news over the last week, we see a silverback gorilla get killed. And I have no, like, I, I, I love the zoo. I love going to see animals. I love going to see um, all these different things, I think it's cool. It's God's creation. I mean, there's some pretty interesting animals out there. And there's this big like, protest about this gorilla being killed, but, and, and, but it saved a four-year-old's life. Like a human, like a person, like a real person. And I understand he shouldn't have been around the, the gate, and he shouldn't have jumped in, and all those types of things. But let me ask you a question. If that was your son... How many of y'all ever turned and all of a sudden they were like gone? Like, whoa, where'd they go? Man, the kids are quick, right? And here's what bothered me. I said, all these people are so concerned about this animal's life when five million babies are being killed every year. See, life to a non-believer is really about what they desire and what they want. To a non-believer, to somebody of this world. It's a self-focused. It's about whatever is, is, is right in that moment for me. And as long as I can preserve life and live to the fullest and, and find happiness and the pursuit and all these things, then I've lived a good life. And that's what life is to me. And it blows my mind. It was actually two instances. There was also an animal in Yellowstone. And everybody's all upset about the animal having to... To, to die, and I understand it was a, just a strange situation, but we need to be as concerned about these animals' lives. We need to be more concerned about these children who are dying every day. 
And listen, this is not a political speech. This uh, our message. It's not political. I'm just presenting the gospel. So what does the gospel say about life? Let's open up to Mark 8, verse 35. It says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, the gospel will save it. Let's think about this for a second. The world says, I've got to try to figure out all the ways to save my life. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I've got to take the best vitamins so that I don't... You know, hey, I, I will just tell you that I have seen... People who are super healthy and disease has come upon them. And I've seen people who are not super healthy that disease never came upon them. Death is no respecter of age or person. And as I've heard before, right now we are about 100% rate of death. Everybody dies at some point until the midnight cry. But the scripture says that who, he who wishes to save his life will lose it. But he who... who, who Gives it up, loses it for my sake, and the gospel will save it. Let's talk about this for just a second. The view of life for a believer is on a spiritual level. See, we give up our life here and now. We give it all up, we lay it down, which really we were dead anyways, right? According to Scripture, on a spiritual level, we were dead. And Christ, through the blood of the Lamb, through the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, saves our lives. And we were destined to hell. We were on a path with the evil one. He changes our life and we become reborn in Christ. And our life has changed. And so now, we're not concerned about when we breathe our last. All the things that the world is concerned about, we're not concerned about those things. Why? Because we have eternal life. See, our focus now is on the life that Christ has given us that will never die. This world, my fleshly body will die someday. But the life that God's given me in Christ will never die. It's eternal life. And He says that if you lose it for my sake, you will save it. And so when you view life as a believer, you're not afraid of what you're going through today. And when a sickness or a struggle comes your way, you understand, listen, my eternal life is so found in Christ that nothing can take it away. Nothing can snatch it out of the hands of our, of our, of our God. We're sealed. Of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 says, we're sealed by the Spirit of promise. And so we begin to focus on eternal life. We understand that God has a perfect plan for our life. Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you can quote it, that God has a plan for us. We understand that there's a purpose and a focus and a reason for our life. And what is it? It's to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. It's to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ as you live and breathe every moment of this earth. And guess what you're going to do when you die? We're going to be worshiping the Lord forever and ever and ever. We're going to be bringing glory to the name of Jesus. I can't even fathom revelation. Like just worshiping the King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Continual, continual. I mean, I just can't even fathom it. I'm not really a big fan of that song that says a big, big house, lots and lots of room, where we can play football, because I think I'm going to be so mesmerized by the king forever. I mean, I, 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 I more relate with, I can only imagine by mercy me, because I have no idea what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, God's going to be there. 
And there'll be no more sin, pain, hurt, no more tears. Oh, I can't wait. So we focus, we have a purpose. We have a reason. We're not concerned about death on an earthly level, on a physical level. You know, I heard a major in the military say one time that it's really hard to fight an enemy that's not afraid to die. You know, when he said that, I said, man, if Christians weren't afraid to die, think about the power and the might that will be coming forth by the power of Christ through our lives. See, on a worldly standpoint, they're afraid to die. The fear of the unknown of what's going to take place of not knowing and, and the, the void in their heart, guess what happens? They begin to say, okay, well, I, I don't know. And, and worry and fear and all these things are going to come over your heart. But for a believer, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Amen. So a non-believer of this world, they view life Fading. It's all about themselves. It's all about, you know, hey, I only have one life to live. I got to make it count. I got to make it count for me. And it's all about building their kingdom. And they're focused in on their kingdom. And let me tell you something their kingdom will fall. But yet, life for a believer, we work for a kingdom that will not fail. It will not fall. Liberty. The word liberty means freedom. Talks about freedom. And man, this is. You know, there's some interesting views on freedom in the world. You know, the main freedom that we have is from an oppressive government. That's what people talk about. Why did they come to America? Why was America created? There's a lot of theological questions that you could ask there. We're not going to go there. But ultimately, there was an oppression that was taking place. Look at all the nations across this world where Christians don't have true freedom in their society, under their government. Can I just tell you that I'm really not concerned about persecution coming to the church? And let me tell you why. Because if you look at Ephesus and Corinth and all these places, they weren't no Mayberry. Mm -mm. I don't even know what Mayberry was, but I heard that it was a pretty peaceful place. It wasn't a Mayberry. But you know what? The gospel spread it like fire. Why? Because of the persecution that was taking place. So freedom, on a world standpoint, it's costly. Do you know what it costs? It costs men and women their lives. Every, every person in the military that I see, I walk up to and I thank them every time. There's sometimes that I will try as hard as I can if I'm eating someplace and I see somebody in their full, full regalia or what I don't know what you call it uniform. That I will try to pay for their meal, and I'm not trying to tell you like, look at me, because here's what I say. That was the cheapest that I could do. When freedom is costing people their life. Hey, I'm very, very, I'm great, like thankful and grateful for the military. But on a worldly standpoint, it's costly. We have freedom in America from oppression, governments and kingdoms, which it seems to be somewhat fading away a little bit. But you know, the interesting thing is on a world standpoint, there's freedom. And what's the freedom from? 
The freedom is so that they can be whatever they want to be, right? It's kind of what we say. You have freedom to be whatever you want to be. Until you use your freedom and you say that you're different from them, and then they say, well, uh, I have freedom to be this, and you're intolerant. Oh, isn't it interesting? Right now in America, freedom goes one way. And I shared with you all on a Wednesday night that tolerant doesn't even exist. The word tolerant does not even exist. Now, I understand it exists. You can probably look it up in Webster's Dictionary. But in my dictionary, it don't even exist. Let me explain to you why for those that weren't there. For somebody to be truly tolerant of all things means that you can never tell anybody that they're intolerant. Because in that moment, you are now being intolerant towards somebody you're calling intolerant, which makes you not tolerant. Do I need to explain that again? Did that just go over everybody's head? Basically, it's the people who are saying it's all about tolerance who's using their freedoms to try to shut the mouths of those who are simply different than they are. That's the world. That's what the world's liberty and freedom is all about. Oh, but God's freedom's not about that. Can I tell y'all something? The Lord spoke to me this the morning as I was sitting here and I said, Lord, you haven't finished my point on freedom yet. Finish it right now. And he gives me a word. This is what he said. Dear Christians, believers, bondservants of the Most High God, your freedom does not come from the Declaration of Independence. Your freedom does not come from our government. Your freedom does not come from our society. Your freedom comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, and it gets better. And since your freedom comes from the blood of Jesus, nobody can take it away from you. Oh, I'm getting like holy goosebumps up here. So nobody can shut my mouth. You can put me in prison. Well, i got a captivated audience. You can take my life, and I'm with Jesus. For me to live as Christ dies gain. Nobody can take the freedom that's been given to a believer that's been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Nobody. The only thing, the only thing that can put you into bondage as a believer is when you walk and and get off the altar of God and you go to worship things that are not the king. It's the only thing. Satan's been rendered powerless, as I've said many times. So what power does he have? He's the father of all lies. So he lies to us. We listen and believe the lie over the voice of God, and we put shackles and chains on us on our own doing. Because we're believing the father of lies over the father of truth. Over the king of kings, over the creator God. And we believe this false lie and we put chains on us. So what does the scripture say about liberty? In 2 Corinthians 3.17, one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, I might dance a little bit. I'll try not to. Now the spirit of the Lord, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord breaks all the chains. Satan can't stand in the presence of God. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And what happened to him? See ya. 
That's how powerful and big our God is that chains are broken. And there's true freedom. Now here's a verse many of you might know. It's Luke 4.18. says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Hey, that's setting people free. You want to know what we have freedom from? We have freedom from captivity of the evil one. And I'll tell you this, I would much rather have freedom from the captivity of the evil one and hell and the things that are going on than have freedom in this world. I would trade every bit of freedom to have freedom in Christ and Christ alone. I would trade it all because that's my God. And I love Him that much. It says... Let's go back to that verse, Luke 4, 18. He sent me to proclaim release of the captives, recover the sight of the blind, and to free those who are oppressed. They're oppressed by the evil one. They are oppressed by Satan. Or are we using our freedom that God's given us to go to the nations? Or are we using it for our own kingdom and our own glory? Remember, do you view life and liberty Belonging to Christ? Or are you viewing life and liberty belonging to the world? The world's going to use its freedom to build as much power and wealth that it can. To build pride. I think they did that before. Uh, yeah, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Anybody remember what happened to them? Yeah. There was a few prideful kings in the Old Testament. I won't tell you what all happened to them. So God's freed us from the penalty of sin. He's freed us from hell He's freed us from the condemnation of sin. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love it when it says in Christ Jesus. Y'all should start making you a list in your Bible and say in Christ Jesus. And every time you see that in the scriptures, you should write down in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation. In Christ we're adopted. In Christ we're sons of the Most High God. In Christ we have an inheritance. Why? Because you begin to figure out who you are as a bondservant of the Most High God. So you know what Romans 8, 1 says? It says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a bondservant of the living God, you are free from condemnation. Can I chase a real quick rabbit here? You say, David, how do I know the difference between condemnation and God telling me about something in my life? Did I really repent over something or not? When God speaks to you, you will find yourself in humility on your face before a living God. And He'll bring about peace. When condemnation comes, it will paralyze you. You will have fear, worry. So some of y'all right here in this room, I don't know why I just spoke that to somebody in this room, but somebody in here is dealing with some condemnation in their life or their past, and you need to sit here and you need to remind Satan of his future. And in just a few minutes... After the service, I'm going to introduce Josh Brown to you, our, our new youth pastor. And one of the th- things that he said, I'm putting you on the spot here, but one of the things that he said, first day, welcome, um, that he said, he said, David, Christians need to quit focusing in on their past and they need to focus in on the past of Jesus. And what that is, is the cross. That's pretty profound. Guys, we have freedom, liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Galatians 5.1 
And then we'll move on to what I was so excited about, and that's joy. But Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And continuing on into chapter 5, all the way down, it talks about don't use your, 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 your freedom for that of this world. Use it for the kingdom of God. Hey, let me just tell you something. If you really believe what the Spirit of the Lord just spoke just a minute ago, because I was definitely Him when I was up front just kind of going... If you really believe that you would trade all the freedoms of this world for the freedom of Christ, if you really believe that, then you're not going to be afraid. Because what happens if they do take away your freedom? Well, you have freedom in Christ. You're not going to be afraid, well, well, what's the world going to do to me? You're not going to be using your freedom to build your kingdom because you're going to understand that every day and every moment is for the kingdom of God. So let's move on to joy. But here's the important part of all of this. When you belong to Christ and you understand life, and you belong to Christ and you understand freedom, both of those two things produce joy in your life. Now, it doesn't produce like you're working at it because joy, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then y'all share with me, joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So if the fruit of the Spirit is joy, that means we can't create it. Hey, let me just tell you a little pet peeve of mine. Whenever I go into elementary schools, and man, elementary teachers, y'all are awesome. I don't know how you do it. Incredible. But so often I, I'll walk in and they'll say, this month we're going to practice patience. This, pra- this month we're going to practice kindness. Let me just tell you something. You can't practice patience and kindness. You can only create a facade of it. Because if you want patience and kindness to come out of your life, it's going to be a fruit of the Spirit. That means Christ dwells in your life. That means Christ is living in your heart. And He's overflowing from a surrendered life to the King. He's overflowing. Through your life. So as we talk about joy, i got to flip a few pages back. The difference here is the pursuit of happiness in the world and true joy. Now let me give you an example here. If I, was, if I gave you a car, and the car had unlimited fuel supply, like... Always stayed full. Always. Some of you husbands out there are like, man, my wife needs that car, right? (laughs) You ever gotten it with like five miles till empty? And then your prayer life is enhanced trying to get to the gas station. But if I gave you a car that had unlimited supply of fuel, and I saw you outside, and you're pushing that car, pushing it, you say, I go, well, why are you pushing the car? Well, I'm pushing it. I don't know. Well, why don't you get in the car and drive it? I guess I could do that. That would be kind of weird to, to just be pushing a car that's full of fuel. Well, God says in the Scriptures in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I believe that joy comes from an overflowing of the Father, that we as believers have joy, but we have to choose it. Galatians chapter 1 says, consider it joy, my brethren. We have joy. 
But the question is, is are we going to allow that joy to come out from our life? Or are we going to focus in on the circumstances and the situations and be unhappy? Let me explain to you a little bit further about this. Happiness, the pursuit of happiness, which is the problem in this world, because happiness will never fulfill them. And happiness is circumstantial. So if I were to say, hey, I got a $100 bill in my hand, who wants it? Anybody want a $100 bill? I don't have one in my hand. Anybody want one? Nobody? Nobody raise their hand? I got a few people. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Everybody should have raised their hand. There we go. And I said, hey, just come up here and I'll give you the $100 bill. You run up here, first person, okay? You run up here and I give you the $100 bill. Man, you're like happy. Woo, that's awesome. And I say, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm going to take it away. I'm going back and sit down. All of a sudden, you're not happy. That's how quick happiness can take place and be removed. I can sit here and tell you, well, here, here's a $100 bill. Okay, uh, I changed my mind. Let me take it back from you. Now, all of a sudden, you, you ain't got $100 bills, and you're a little bit embarrassed because you're standing up in front of everybody and all the lights, and you're saying, oh, that was not fun. Oh, all of a sudden, this, this circumstance just changed your happiness. That's how quick happiness can change. Happiness is the world's way of trying and desiring to produce joy. You say, well, David, the scripture talks about happiness. Yes, but the word happy in the Old Testament is talking about being blessed. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. When you go to the Hebrew, you see the word blessed. The world is seeking happiness when when they're trying to create what true Christians have is joy. They're trying to create happiness. It says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that God fills us. With joy. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, let me tell you something. Nobody can take away my joy. Circumstances can't take away my joy. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. James chapter uh, 1 and on, verse 2 and on. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Hey, the circumstances might change. It might have just got hotter. My happiness just got to be removed. But I have joy. Why? Because I know who my God is. I have joy because I know the end. I have joy because I've been saved. I have joy because, because I'm not going to hell anymore. I have joy because, because my God reigns. See, joy comes when you truly know the salvation that you have in Christ. Joy comes from Christ when you have a surrendered life. It's constant. Nothing can change your joy. Nothing can take it away except for you focusing on the wrong thing. Except for you removing your surrendered life of the king and saying, well, maybe I need to go do it this way. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to find pain and hurt and all these different things. Nothing can change it. Nothing can take away your joy. Joy is supernatural. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 No matter whether we're persecuted or going through good times, we have joy in the Lord. Man, I read every scripture in the New Testament about joy. And man, I got excited. You know why? Because when I live a surrendered life, when I lay my life down on the altar, and when I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, nothing can take it away from me. Just the other day, I was sitting in a parking lot drinking coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but I was drinking coffee that day. Me and 
his name is Guillermo Verde. He's on staff with us with the youth ministry. He's, he's our worship leader. His real name is Emil. I like to say Guillermo because it sounds so cool. But we were having coffee, and my truck was parked there, and this guy came just, I mean, he was so like just, he had to get in and get out. He was like, I got to go, got to go, got to go. And he hit, hit my truck, which okay. I mean, that's fine. And he said to me, he goes, I bet I just destroyed your day. I looked at him and I said, brother, nothing. If I keep my eyes focused on Jesus, nothing can take away my joy. Now, I didn't say it exactly like that, but I looked at him and I said, listen, you, you don't have the authority to change my day and how excited I am. Because I have joy in the Lord. And it was all good. I said, don't worry about it. And he, he went on his way. But the question is, is do we choose to have joy? Are we willing, and no matter what circumstance or, or where we're going, do we truly have joy? See, the world is chasing happiness, and they can't find it. They can't find it. It's like chasing the wind. Solomon even talks about it. He had everything. Everything. Vanity. Vanity. It's like chasing the wind. So you're sitting here and you're saying, man, like, like the world's chasing the wind trying to find happiness. And listen, you're going to find it in a few places here and then it's going to fade away real quickly. But as a believer, we have something that will never fade away. So let me ask you this question. Is your life surrendered to the king? Do you view life as belonging to Christ? Do you truly belong to Christ, view life that way, view your freedom that way, view joy that way. Joy can't be taken away. Your freedom can't be taken away. Your life on this earth may be taken away, but let me tell you what's going to happen. You have eternal life that will last forever. And so whenever I thought about that, this is what I did in my study last night. I started writing down things that just bring just overwhelming joy to me. I mean, just I just get really excited. Can I share a few of them real quick? But you've got to promise me something. You won't put any labels on yourself but that of a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't sit here and say, well, you know, uh, Pentecostal do this or Baptist do this. You have to say, I'm a bondservant of the Most High God. I'm not going to put any type of thing on me but the name of Jesus. People ask me all the time, you know, what denomination? Do you believe in this or that? And they'll put all these big names out there and I say, I'm a bondservant of the Most High God. I put no name on me but the name of Jesus. So if you get excited and you want to yell amen, then yell amen. Amen. But these are just simple words. Salvation. Guys, we once were dead. Now we're alive in Christ. Freedom in Christ. We're adopted sons of the Most High God. We have an inheritance that's not fading away, that our our Father has given and bestowed upon us justification man i get excited like i get pumped up heaven the midnight cry we're going home i get to bring glory to the name of jesus by surrendering my life to me that like i get like so excited like mind blown that he would even use me and you 
and each of us for the glory of His name. We're sealed by the, by the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians chapter 12. I mean, chapter 1, verse 12. We're sealed. Nothing can take away our salvation. When I think of the cross, and I think about what it took, I don't know about y'all, but I, I literally shed tears of joy. When I think of the resurrection, Jesus on the cross, joy that's overflowing, nothing can take it away from me. When I think about people getting set free and salvation entering their life, I get like so crazy. And when somebody comes down here and says, hey, I'm professing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, let me tell you something. We should go way more crazier than any football game or any baseball game or any sporting event that you've ever been to. Because I don't care who won the football game in the grand scheme of eternity, but their life has been changed. Man, that brings me joy. Can you tell? The blood of the Lamb. That's cleansed me. When sanctification takes place in my life, it brings about mourning, as in crying, weeping. It brings about sackcloth and ashes, as it talks about in the Old Testament. But what does it bring? The fruit of righteousness. I get to look more like my Father than I did before. You say, but David, that's painful. I know, but I have joy in the midst of the pain because I'm going to be more like Jesus. That, like I, I get like fired up about that. When God answers prayer, even when He answers no, because my God listened to me and, and, and spoke to me. Do you realize that July is five years that I've been medicine-free, symptom-free from a non-curable muscle disease? fire of God fell down in July of five years ago and my doctors told me when I went five years that, that they would say that I, that I don't have it anymore well I ain't had it for five years but listen I'm not glorifying the, the healing I'm not glorifying the miracle I'm glorifying the king of kings who is the one who performed the miracle because he has all authority over it all yo I get so fired up and so excited and this is the greatest one of all of them for me. Well, there's two more. The empty tomb. Oh. To think on the empty tomb. If that doesn't get you excited, then I don't think you understand about the empty tomb. Man, like, like Jesus, three days later, like, he like said, hey, I'm out of here. Hey, death, where's your sting? And, and some of y'all may say, well, it was probably more, you know, like, uh, you know, no, I think it was like, hey, we won, it's over, done, see ya. Like, I really, like, in my heart, like, that, like that's my God. Like, he just basically said, listen, um, hell, you're, you've been defeated. Death, you've been defeated. Hey, uh, all, all, all the children of God, guess what's going to happen to them? They're not enslaved to you anymore. That brings joy to me. Like, that excites me. And then here's the one that excites me the most of all, is that my God reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. And so does yours. 
Which means there's nothing we can go through that he doesn't know what's happening. It's not taking God by surprise. And so I walk through life with joy. I'm not looking for happiness. Yes, there's going to be things that make you happy. But I, I want the joy of Christ to exude from me because I'm focused in on Him. My life is surrendered to Him. And I'm running for Him with all my heart and soul. And I'm thinking on the cross. I'm thinking on the empty grave. And I'm thinking on Jesus who's reigning forever and ever and ever. And my question to you is this. Does the world see the joy of Jesus in your life? It's not anything you produce. It's having a surrendered life to the King. And it comes forth from your life. I'm not trying to create an emotion. I'm not trying to create an emotion. I'm simply here wanting you to experience the joy of our Father. And so my question to you today is this, as we close. Jesus Christ, He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy of... Would you put that up on the screen for me, Stephen? I know I didn't give it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. And, you know, this was my verse as I ran the Iron Man because they told me that I couldn't do that kind of stuff. And so this was my verse. But, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance of sin. We're free from it. We're free from it. That so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance a race set before us. In verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Hey, can I tell you something? When you sit there and you say, David, I don't know if I'm about laying down my life, like, it scares me. God's not asking you to do anything that he didn't ask his son to do. He's not asking you to do anything different than what he asked his own son. Sometimes we say, but, but, but it's so hard. You know, whenever you think about the fact of what Jesus went through on the cross, it doesn't make it seem so hard anymore, does it? Who for the joy set before him the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So my question is, who do you belong to? Are you living life in the camp of believers who are looking to eternal life? Are you living life in the camp of believers who say, I don't care what freedom this earth takes away from me, my ultimate freedom in Christ can never be removed. And so we continue forward. Are you taking, are you living this life not pursuing happiness, but allowing true joy to overflow your life and everything that you do? And when you do, you know what's going to happen? People will see a difference in your life because happiness is a counterfeit to joy. And when they see that you have joy, they're going to want to know what in the world has gotten into you. And so my question is, are you a bondservant of the Lord Most High? Do you belong to Him? Because if you do, you're going to see life in those three areas in that way. But if you don't belong to Christ, it's going to be about you and your kingdom for life. It's going to be whatever freedom that you can get from your government and those types of things. And it's going to be a continual pursuit of happiness that you'll never find. You say, David, I don't know. I don't want that first half. I want to be a bondservant of Christ. It's going to cost you everything. Hey, I'm not a prosperity gospel teacher. Sorry. It's not biblical. It is biblical when you talk about heaven. But on a world standpoint... It's going to cost you everything. 
you say, David, I want to know Christ. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. Then right here, right where you're sitting, just say, God, I'm laying it all down before your throne. God, it's all yours. I want you to have my life. I want you to be my king and my Lord. It says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And so the question is, do you believe? Will you be a bondservant of the Most High God? Will you lay it all down? Are you willing to give everything? I even tell the students, and I'm not ashamed to say it, but it's a call to die. Because God tells us to crucify ourselves daily.